Hello again, everyone. This is Gary Morgenstein from Brooklyn, along with R.C. Samo in Los Angeles, or some part of Los Angeles, I get it. Was it Huntington Beach? Huntington Beach. I'm in Orange County, so I'm about 40 minutes south of L.A. without traffic, or so they tell me, because I don't know what it's like to get there without traffic. So when when I make these derogatory remarks about Los Angeles and, you know, vomiting sounds, it really doesn't bother you that much, does it? Not at all, because I'm stuck on the 405, no matter what. (laughs) Well, we're really thrilled um, this week to have on Michael Hinman, the award-winning journalist and editor of the Pulitzer Prize-winning Riverdale Press, to talk about politics, the midterm elections, what's going to happen in the aftermath of um, Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation. Thank God. There you go, Michael. I am thrilled. Michael, thank you for joining Coastal Commodores. Well, thank you for having me on. It's our now, pleasure. Uh, let's get to it. Okay, Kavanaugh was mercifully confirmed after what I felt was a McCarthyite smear campaign against him but that's just my own personal opinion based but, on what based on yes i know no no what no but so- you're 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 you, you, I mean, you're starting off with a allegation that that you're you're automatically disbelieving somebody who comes forward and presents testimony but yet you don't have anything to back it up just as i would ask her to do the same thing but what are you backing up your conclusion with well my conclusion is that she made charges without any evidence they could not find any evidence that, that we know of. In a one-week investigation, that would be kind of hard to find evidence on a 35-year-old case, don't you think? Yes. Well, if perhaps um, if Diane Feinstein had presented it sooner. But that's all True. water under the bridge. That's water under the bridge. I um, guess. See, well, maybe, maybe not. We'll get back to that. Let's get back to that and the process of – or the lack of due process in our country and the, the political civility or lack of political civility and what the Me Too movement is doing. But I, what I want to ask you, now that Kavanaugh has been um, confirmed and he is going to be an associate justice, what effect do you think that has on the midterm elections? First of all, start with um, the Democratic base. Well, I mean, I think that when you have when you have a, a process that happened like this, and and I think that what you're seeing, at least for a lot of people, at least on, you know on the Democratic side of this, is that not only um, do you have a, a Supreme Court justice who has just been put in that is extremely unpopular in terms of polling, in terms of the electorate that's out there, but you know this is also you know the way that this was rushed through right before the midterms, it has a lot of people wondering. It's like, well, Mitch McConnell. You know, made it very clear what a couple of years ago that you know with the you know with the new president coming a year away that it's probably we should wait to hear what the voters have to say in terms of what happens with the, the selection of a Supreme Court justice. Yet here we are, what months away from midterm elections, where there's a lot of people who believe that um, you know there's going to be a shift in power where it comes to uh, you know the two chambers of Congress. But yet Mitch McConnell didn't feel that there was a need to wait for that. So, I mean, I think that a lot of people who saw the first move as being this kind of, you know, weird, strange, very highly political move, now I think you're going to react to what you're seeing in terms of this about face that, that, that you know, and, and this is what happens on both sides of the aisle, to get me wrong, but it's so overtly political, so overtly partisan, it's so overtly decisive, or divisive, not decisive, but divisive, that I do think it is going to, to energize uh, a, a very, you know, probably that's been a very quiet base up until now. And um, on the Republican side, what impact do you think this will have? I think that if I think that if he had not been confirmed, if the votes had shifted over, um, I think that you might have uh, that it actually 
might have been helpful to the Republicans, really. I think that would have fired up the base a little bit um, because they would have had the same mentality that, that you're presenting to the table, which is like, wow, you know, this is a witch hunt. This is, you know, just like how the whole Russian investigation is a witch hunt, I guess. But, um, you know, despite all the uh, convictions already and, you know, and everything else has happened and the indictments, but it's a witch hunt. But the thing is, is that the idea here is that, that I think that that would have fired up that base. I think that would have, I don't know if it would have been enough to stop what some are predicting, which I don't know if it'll happen or not, but there are some who predict that there's going to be this blue wave, quote unquote, that's happening. Um, but I think that, that the, that failing to confirm Kavanaugh probably would have fired him up. But the fact then that, you know, that you ended up getting exactly what you were looking for, I, I don't, you know, I, I think they're going to just kind of die back down and just kind of how voters are. So you don't think, um, I mean, you hear a lot of reports. There's something um, across the country they're calling, and again, it's hard to say if it's anecdotal in parts of the country. Uh, well, first of all, you see enormous um, uptick in um, support, in financial support now to the RNC and to Republican campaigns. Again, you, you, you might very well be right that it, it could die down. Uh, but you hear people talking about something called mama bears with um, Republican women are pretty outraged by the um, the way I mean, you will agree. I, I know that you um, you think that it was the Republicans trying to sneak this nomination through. I'm, I'm sorry, who's sure. in power? I'm, I, was it the Democrats trying to sneak this nomination through? Because I, well, I, I, no, I, I must have missed that. I must have missed that day. I mean, uh, you know, well, I think it's their right to do that. I think it's the president's constitutional right to name a Supreme Court justice. Did you, did you think that when Obama named, a, you know, you know, named his nominee as well, or do you think that only applies? Well, to I think that was different. I think a presidential campaign is a lot different than midterm elections. Really, that's very yeah. interesting because yes, I, I think that's, that's, that's quite in the Constitution yes. that gives that, that right. when you lay out the powers of the president to appoint a Supreme Court justice yes. and that a Senate to confirm them. Nowhere in it does it say as long as it's not within a year of a presidential campaign. I mean. That doesn't exist in there. It historically has never existed. And then all of a sudden it exists because you have somebody that's in power where they used to have it where, you know, when you were younger, Gary, when I was younger even, that, yeah, you would see partisan divides in Congress. You would see, you know, the Democrats stir up crap. You would see the Republicans stir up crap, depending on who was in power, that those kind of things happened all the time. But we've never seen it to this level of kindergarten, of elementary school. Yes. You know, Agreed. back and forth, and it's happening on both sides. Don't yes, get me wrong, right. yeah. but yes, it's yeah. you know, but you know, we get to target Republicans because you know the one thing that I never saw. You know, the Democrats could have done that with Bork. They could have done that with Clarence Thomas. They could have done a lot of these things with, with a lot of these. You know, these. They but they, they could have Bork and they all, tried with Clarence Thomas. Wait, wait, Bork, wait, wait. They but did Bork had his Bork. own issues. Bork had yeah. his own issues. Yes, and Clarence Thomas, they tried to take him down too. So it's not. But you're right. Well, let's talk. Let's step back from the partisanship, just for a moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, without saying right and left and Democrat and Republican, let's just talk about as you start discussing um, the the tenor of the country and the tenor of politics and the polarization. <laughs> I mean, can we come back from this? Because, uh, look, I'm oh, an independent. So. I'm, an, I'm a political independent. I um, I vote for both parties. I vote for the best person. OK, I mean, on most issues, I'm more moderate to conservative. Um, I have contempt for Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan, as I have contempt for Chuck Schumer um, so and Nancy Pelosi. So it's I, I share that sort of um, disdain for the establishment of politics. The question is the country and what's happening to the country. 
And can we dis- do you think that we can discuss things anymore in, you know, you talk about, you know, go back to the olden days. Ronald Reagan's great line. I have no political enemies. I have political opponents. Are those days gone? I hope not. I mean, and I think what I think what happens and, you know, and, and like I said, and I say it's on a broad sense, it's, you know, it's not just one side that's doing this. And, um, you know, is that I think that people stop listening at some point. I think yeah. that, you know, especially, you know, not that, you know, not that there's things to really agree with on certain sides, but, you know, at the same time, people want to be heard. It's just like, you know, when you're when you're talking with anybody and you're having a disagreement, sometimes, you know, it's like good customer service, you know, that if you, you know, when you have a customer come in and he's angry and he's throwing, you know, you know, the food back at you because it wasn't served well. And I mean, you you kind of, you know, the biggest thing that they usually want is just to be heard. And, you know, that, 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 that you consider what it is. You might not give them what they want, but you go a long way in just listening. And I think that we stopped listening a long time ago. No, we, meaning who? The, the people. people, you say- people in general. Yes, that, okay. that people in general, and I think it, and then it gets reflective in our politics. That you know, I think that a lot of what led to the rise of Donald Trump, for instance, is, a, is the fact that people stopped listening and people stopped hearing these voices. They felt like they weren't being heard, you know. And now they were getting this opportunity to to be heard, you know, through this person. And you know, and now that they were getting that that platform in order to do it, and you know, and when you get that kind of pent up energy, when you get that kind of pent up like nobody's listening to us and then all of a sudden people are listening to us um you know it's it's kind of hard to turn that off and it's kind of hard to overcome that sometimes and i mean and it's worked you know in in a lot of different respects not just with trumpism or trumpism or whatever we're calling you know this crazy era that we're in but i mean but in the end what it turns into is you know where we're so quick to call things lies we're so quick to dismiss things we're so quick to draw conclusions you know many times without ever taking the opportunity it's one reason why we could sit there and have a week-long FBI investigation and count that as a complete investigation because we think that these things should be happening right away, that these things, you know, that we should be able to draw conclusions based on our feelings rather than based on actual factual information. But you think the factual information, you know, uh, Stephen Colbert came up with this about 10 years ago, the notion of truthiness and Mm -hmm. that if I feel it's true, it has to be true. Do you think we, you know, that joke has become our ultimate reality at this point? Because I do, it is, actually. Because it is quite sad to sit there and go, we have this evidence. You know, uh, people that automatically wanted to dismiss her for being on the left-hand side. But the thing is, is that she needed to be heard. I think the problem that was unjust to, to Dr. Ford, or prof- is it, she, well, she's also a professor. So we can, the we'll use the terms interchangeably, Dr. and Professor yeah, Ford, yeah. is that uh, they took away her right for anonymity to sit there and express herself. They paraded her around like like a show pony, which I think is completely unfair to her. Uh, by yeah. they, you mean who? Uh, Feinstein, specifically, because you know, she was saying she didn't know that she had the right to anonymity. But, I mean, I, isn't that up to the chair of the committee to be saying that? I didn't realize Diane Feinstein was suddenly the chair of the judiciary. I believe that's somebody else named Chuck Grassley who should have been you know, parlaying that information over. So Chuck didn't tell her ahead of time. This is what I want clarification on. I don't know. I'm, I'm not okay. there. I'm not in Washington. I'm a New York reporter, not a okay. Washington reporter. So. Okay. So if Chuck didn't <laughs> tell her, that's Chuck's fault. We'll, we'll put it that uh, that way, correct? 
Yeah, I mean, if okay. she was, if she realized that she could have anonymity and that she would have requested an anonymity, I think that obviously she should have had that. I, I think yes. for when you have sensitive issues like this, that you know that there is, you know, there is an invasion of privacy aspect to it. I mean, at the same time, you know, for me, for somebody to. You know, because like it's like when you read about anonymous sources in a paper. Although I mean, anonymous sources, you know, especially from you know what should be you know credible news sources are very well vetted. I mean, we rarely use them. I mean, we're in the community you know journalism aspects, but we rarely use them. But if we do, trust me, there's a very strong reason why we're doing it. We've totally vetted that source, and there's a reason for that anonymity. But I mean, but the thing is, is that it's hard to add you know to the general reader or the general news consumer. It's hard to add credibility to anonymity. Like oh, you have have this anonymous person coming forward sometimes you have to put that face to it sometimes you have to put that name to it and yeah i i do think though that if if there was an option for anonymity that that she absolutely should have been offered that and and wherever it fell down whether it's with chuck grassley whether it's with diane feinstein that it should have happened somewhere if that's what she really wanted right. but you know at the same time i think that that it does at least it doesn't prove her points but i think that it does at least add to the credibility quotient because right. I'm not taking away from her story whatsoever, and I don't ever want to take away from someone that's truly a victim. I told Gary this last week in that I would have much preferred her to be a liar than a victim because I don't want anyone to be victimized in a rape or sexual assault situation Absolutely. ever again. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what I, you know, and, and I, and, and Gary, and I agree with you that, that, you know, we, you know, that, that there wasn't a lot of proof on this. And it's, you know, and so for me, it's like, well, I, I need to listen. I need to hear yes. what's being said. I need to look at, you know, how the, you know, the other side responds. Um, and these are journalistic practices, by the way, and also what prosecutors use and, and courts use and, and others as well as terms of, of, you know, that, you know, as a reporter, as somebody or anybody who can, you know, who sits there and looks at reactions, sometimes the simply asking the question and getting a body reaction, you know, the body language says more sometimes than verbal language. How you respond to something usually says more than what you're saying. And, you know, and so, for instance, um, you know, the thing is, is that that for somebody who who by multiple accounts drank heavily during those days doesn't excuse any actions but at the same time maybe he was a little rougher he doesn't know i mean the thing is is like if i was a heavy drinker when i was in high school or, or when i was that young and there were times where i couldn't tell you things that happened the night before um you know i would hope that i'm not that kind of person alcohol kind of brings out different people in us and um and i hope that i wouldn't be that person but at the same time you know it'd be kind of hard to you know to totally deny that it happened call somebody a liar based on that well i mean i i i drank when i was in college um and i was with friends who were like alcoholics and i have alcoholism in um in my family unfortunately and um so i was always, always very mindful of drawing the line but when people say they don't remember you have to be a flat out for the most part you have to be you know borderline alcoholic to have blackouts to have loss of memory most people remember even if they if they don't remember you know complete transcripts of what was said they pretty much remember the general notion of what happened the night before it's I think kind he, of well you know, it, if this was the, if this hearing was held the next day sure but we're talking about something that yes, happened 30 I something agree. years ago yeah. and this is one reason why statute of limitations exists and by the way your 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 description of memory is actually pretty inaccurate we actually our memories are not very good especially as you spread over time the thing is is that you know that you might not have a memory of that especially if it wasn't a significant event for you you know there's things that happen throughout our lives that are not significant events to us but are 
significant events to other people where they might remember specifics about it, but we don't. There's people who come up and tell me like, oh yeah, you know, you did this thing like when we were in school where you you know helped me with my homework and you know and that turned my whole life around. I don't remember doing that. You know, I, that wasn't a significant event in my life, but it was a significant event in somebody else's life. But even that memory probably has mutated a little bit over the years because memories are not precise. Memories are not like television where, like, we get flashbacks that just happen to be archival footage of, of an episode, you know, where we're seeing it from the third person. You know, memory is a very tricky thing, and that's one reason why, like, where – you know, and, and people is, have demonstrated this to where people have claimed, like, just like two weeks later about this is exactly – how this event happened and then they're showing like security footage or something where it didn't happen like that at all but they're totally convinced because that's what their memory tells them that that's you know that's exactly how it happened what? you know and so it, it's tough to do and, and and it's tough for judge kavanaugh and i and i'll, and I'll give it to you that you know for having <clears throat> these things come out 35 years later 40 years later that it's difficult you know if this was not a significant event you know especially if you had been drinking and it's something you probably don't really remember in a time period where it wasn't really frowned upon to even do these things so it's not even like you know oh you know so there was a you know a societal aspect to it as well which is terrible but it existed but you know but the thing is, is that that memory aspect isn't going to be so easy to you know to come about and it is a bit unfair to the judge i agree but at the same time you know for me if it was one person that came out and said it that had one you know that that had a story that i believe has some credibility if not proven at least has some credibility it's one thing if one person comes out and says it it's different when multiple people come out and say it and what's it like to be a journalist in these polarizing times i mean you've you've had a long career very successful career um how has it changed you know it's 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 interesting because um you know, ten years ago, I, I don't think that I would have ever, um, you know, at least in any public sense, have uh, shared certain views, you know, shared certain positions, or even shared where I, you know, which way I might lean, or or even what political party, you know, that I vote for. I mean, I tend to be somebody who who votes for candidates rather than parties. Um, you know, I mean, it does. I do tend to, to lean toward one party over the other, but. You know, I voted for, you know, all kinds of different parties. Actually, I can't just say two. I voted for like three or four in the past. And, um, you know, but the thing is, is like as a journalist, though, is, is the biggest thing that we have to deal with, especially in an era of social media where it's so easy to to spread disinformation, it's so easy to spread conclusions that aren't based on anything. And, and on both sides of this is that it's, it's getting rid of the disinformation. It's going and getting rid of these this idea that – you know that because I feel something, or because I saw this and I read this and I did this, that now I have uh, you know basis for a conclusion, or that the newspapers are concluding, you know that a journalist is, is drawing conclusions, because that's not our job either. And I do see that some journalists do that, and they shouldn't be doing that. But it's not our job either. Our job is to present information. But I wouldn't and, necessarily call those journalists. I'd call them bloggers, because I blame Ariana Huffington for sitting there and saying the first person account is just as credible as a journalist with three sources. Oh yeah, no, I agree with you on that. Um, you know, I've I've fought, you know, especially as a digital when I've, you know, because I've you know, I've done newspaper, you know, most of my career, but I've also done side work. And Gary knows this is oh, yes. digital journalism, and and Gary will probably tell you firsthand oh, about how God, I've gone you know. against, 
you know, so-called journalists who go online just because – and that's the thing that, that happens. That you have these people who, you know, because now they can get audiences, now that they can do these things, they can sit there and spot whatever they want. And they don't practice journalistic practices. You know, and I just I just saw it – like I just did it this weekend. We've had New York Comic Con going on, which I've totally avoided because I can't stand conventions <laughs> and I don't like large groups of people. Yeah. And, you know, but I mean, but I've, but there's two different, um, like entertainment news sites that talked about exclusives that they had. And then you go and you read that they got these exclusives, quote unquote, from roundtable, like media roundtables. And Gary oh. knows exactly what I'm talking oh, about, media roundtables. Yes. And somehow that's the exclusive. It's like, no, an exclusive is what you have right. with somebody told you and nobody else. That's exclusive. An exclusive is not like I went to the White House press briefing, you know, Sarah Huckabee Sanders said something to everybody, and now I'm running back with my exclusive. You right. know, it's, that's not an exclusive. So it's just even simple things like that that that's just like that just calls into question. But but they don't practice journalistic standards. They right. don't look for information. They don't look to verify information that they're getting. You know, they hear rumor online and then they report it, right? As if it's fact. <laughs> you know, and it's not. And so yeah, that drives me up the wall. Um, I I mean, I'm one of those people who like it's. This is a very controversial position, um, especially among journalists. It, it doesn't make me any friends in it. But not that I feel like there should be a license for journalism, but I believe there should be an accreditation for journalism. Like you know what you have for a lot of other, um, you know, other a lot of other crafts and such, like architects and PR people. Even all you know, there's, yeah. there's levels of accreditation, and I right. think that there should at least. It doesn't stop you from being a PR person by not having that accreditation, but it it elevates you at least to where you know it's more I can trust what you're telling me because of this accreditation than right. you know Joe Blow. Right. I went Wait, to journalism it, school myself. I went to San Francisco State University. I have a bachelor's degree in journalism. I have a master's degree in theology. And um, you know when I sat there and I see these people like what you said that do the exclusive quote unquote at the comic conventions, I was like, no, you can <laughs> say that's breaking news. That's yes. not an exclusive. There's a difference. That's right. That's right. No, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Yeah. And that so stuff what, drives what, me nuts. So I agree with you on that. And I'm sorry to keep interrupting you, Gary. No, no, no. You're not it. No, no, no. No. I do it all the time. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, Michael, Michael is – why I want Michael to come on the show because Michael is old school. Mm -hmm. And Michael, I when I was school. at Sci-Fi PR, he was the bane of the exist of our existence. <laughs> That's so and true. This is, this is true. Michael, I'm not saying anything that I know. we haven't talked about. And yep. the, everyone else in the department <laughs> says, you handle Hinman. Yep. Because you were a real reporter because I couldn't get away with the boulder dash that you could usually, you know, just beat um, bloggers. You'd say, well, no, that doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. uh, and I want to talk to, you know, the head of programming. Was, oh, man, now we're really in trouble. And then I get in trouble. Well, why didn't you handle him? And, well, I can't have him shot. We had. We certainly took up enough pools um, to <laughs> to have this done but yeah. that, but that's the old but that's you see but that's real journalism and so michael what and and rc too because you're also journalist um what can be done or is there anything that could be done is it is the you know is the, the horse out of the barn now because of social media and because of the intensity of the polarization and we don't have 24-hour news cycles what do we have 24-minute news cycles now i mean what michael what what do you think What's the answer if, if there is one? 
I think that journalists have to go back to what they're doing. I think that at least Facebook is trying to do the right thing. I don't know how successful they will be and how meaningful they are in it, but in terms of, of working to try to verify, like where you have the ability at least as somebody who sees something posted on Facebook that you can at least try to verify the source. But people don't usually check those anyway, so I don't know how much that's going to help. But, you know, I mean, that's what kind of pulled me back into journalism in the first place. I mean, I retired. I was done. I mean, I moved to a Caribbean island, and I was happy. <laughs> Literally moved to a Caribbean island, and I was happy. I was not going to get back into journalism. Even when I returned back to the United States, I was not going to do it. I was going to do something totally different. But what, what, what irked me, and a lot of people say it was Trump being elected. It's like, no, it wasn't Trump being elected. It was the fact that how, how he was covered. How you know Hillary Clinton was covered? How the other candidates you know were covered on the Democratic side and the Republican side, to where you know journalists were just acting as stenographers. That you know that if 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 Hillary said something or if Trump said something, they would just they would just quote it and that was it. I mean, there was nothing to challenge it. There's nothing to you know to state whether that was even accurate or not. I mean, it, it, those are the things that journalists do. We you know we don't we're not stenographers. We don't you know we don't just sit there and, and put a speech up. You know, a campaign stump speech. Every time they're doing a stump speech, we don't just put it live and that's it. You know, and then and we don't we don't fact check it. We don't do those other things. Not that there wasn't fact checking out there, but it wasn't happening on a regular basis. So for me to get back into journalism, I wanted to go somewhere to where I could influence those future journalists because um, I wasn't going to go work at a New York Times. I'm not going to you know waste my time on stuff like that. But I want to be somewhere where you know I can help create the reporters that will go to those papers. Mm -hmm. You know that will hopefully bring you know that that old school mentality back, which is I don't know why it's even considered old school. It should be now. It should be what we've always been doing, and and, it's, and it hasn't been. But we have to do that, and and it has to be journalism that's that's you know where where reporters are stepping back. I mean, we all have our opinions. There's no reporter that doesn't have an opinion. You know, that's a misnomer out there that we're not allowed to have opinions. It's like, no, we have to disregard our opinions. We have to step backward. We have to, you know, step outside and, and look in and be an observer and, and do that again. And, and, you know, and that'll allow us to have that objectivity despite, you know, whatever personal feelings we might have, you know, to separate from that. And, you know, it is a trick that journalists do. I do it all the time. It's not hard, but it does require work to do it. And, you know, and, and a motivation to do it. And, and, and that's, that's good journalism. And that's really I, what we need. Well, because journalism, you know, you want to talk about going back in time because we're all, we all love television. I, I love the Mary Tyler Moore show. And one of the things I always would look forward to um, was the the idealism of Lou Grant. Mm -hmm. You know, the that, well, you know, I, maybe it's silly to quote a television character, but it was a smart no. character. When he would say, you know, we're journalists, and Ted, you're my anchorman, and you have to behave like an anchorman, even though Ted was a putz. Mm -hmm. And, <laughs> right, but it was in those days, as you see, there was that notion that being a journalist was a higher calling. You had yeah. a, a right. You had a really huge role in democracy. I, I worked for the for Newsday and then the Cincinnati Post for, for a while, and you felt like there was something special when you went to work because you were telling the people what they needed to know, whether the the powers to be wanted it or not. You were just you were informing the public, and the public needs facts to make decisions about who to vote for and how to you know how to conduct themselves in society and it's not, and it's not easy gary because yeah, I, bet. Yeah. I cover i mean i cover a small sliver of the bronx 
You know, I mean, I, I do community journalism at its core because I believe in community journalism because I believe that most of what affects us isn't what Trump is doing, isn't what Congress is doing. It's what's happening at the local level. That's why I've stayed in community journalism and why I've stayed focused on it. Despite offers to go do bigger things, I just like doing what I'm doing and I'm happy with it. And I've always been unhappy doing anything else. But, you know, but the idea is that, you know, that you are going to piss off people, that you are going to anger people. You right. try not to do it. That's not your goal. You know, your goal is to to present information that the public needs to know, you know, weighing that against other factors, but making sure that but it makes sure it's accurate and true and that it's going to be unpopular. I mean, there's times, you know, we have community boards, you know, in New York and, um, you know, you know, there's like 59 of them. And we have we have one in the Bronx that, that I cover. And, you know, then there's been there was just recently where I did a story or two that really upset, you know, the leadership of this group. And, you know, and the funny part is then I have to go into their executive committee meetings, which are held in a tiny boardroom, you know, in their offices where you're basically yeah. right on top of them. Like you can't really get away from them. Like it's pretty <laughs> intimate, you know, and, and so it, it does take there's probably a lot of reporters to be like, you know what, I don't want to piss these people off because I got to sit like five feet away from them and they're going to sit there and glare at me the whole time. Well, you know what? They were glaring at me the whole time, but that's part of what I do. Right? <laughs> but just, is, is there a way that we can sit there and excuse my language? This is one of the rare times I'm going to curse uh, on our show. So please forgive me for that, Gary. But to turn around and have that American hubris and go, fuck you, don't like me. Oh, I mean, well, that's kind of a New York humor, but the, yeah. <laughs> but that's still an American thing too. That's very American. Is. I mean, I, I I don't do journalism to be liked. I don't, you know. I mean, ask Gary. Gary knows this. Yes. I, mean, I yes. should have been sucking up to sci-fi constantly, yes. um, but I didn't. I, I wasn't. But I re- and I liked you, and we were friends. By the way, and we were. I was. We became friends because I respected that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. I respected Gary. That. Yeah, yeah, but you know, and you know, and the thing is, is, is you know, some people think that oh, you know, and that's why you see some of this this quote unquote journalism out there, which is more, you know, um, you know, patting people on the back and you know, just saying good things all the time, and that's fine. There's there's a place for that. It's called public relations. But you know, but when it comes to journalism, you know, you have to ask tough questions. You have to talk about certain things. You know, um, you know, I have to go to Gary and say, hey. You you know you're part of a, a network a cable channel you know at the time that you know that runs 24 hours seven days a week why can't you run the last few episodes of Caprica at regular times once a week why are you airing them all like overnight you know because it sucked it sucked <laughs> they wanted to burn it off so no one would ever remember how they did such a terrible series. exactly well that's probably true. I couldn't say that. But that's the answers that we were yeah. looking for, not like, yeah. oh, we're just, you know, we're going to get the yeah. fans a chance to stay up at 2 in the morning and watch yeah. the rest, you know. <laughs> so, but those are the questions that they don't want to, you know, but those are, but that's important. I, I think that, yes. you know, and, and trust me, that didn't win me any friends. And Gary yeah. never had to sit there and tell me this. I knew it. You did, <laughs> you know? yes. I, and I went in and nodded. And, you know, that's the thing. Back in the day, you had a relationship with people. And yeah. if you weren't going to burn me and say, well, uh, spokesperson Gary Morgenstein said the show sucked and we wanted to get it <laughs> off the schedule. But I could kind of say, Michael, if you write that, you're not wrong. And but there was a an ability to do that. Again, it's a civility. It's a it's a relationship. It's a courtesy. Which do you find that now? Are there people that you cover in in the way and your your staff who you could have those or, or those days going as well? Are they fraying as well? 
No, I think that they're there. I think what's happening is, you know, when, when you have this vitriol that's going out, and which is not being helped by the Trump administration at all, and you know, and to be honest, and what I don't like about what's happening, you know, with you know, with the way you know Trump is treating the media, it's not that the media is perfect. It's not that the media has done you know great things and never done bad things. There's definitely, and trust me, you can just, you know. Talk to me, you know, give me a beer, talk to me for an hour. I can tell you all kinds of problems with journalism, you know, all kinds of problems that's happening in terms of, of what reporters are doing. But but to go to the vitriol of that, 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 you know, like painting these broad strokes that the media is the enemy of our country, you know, and, and things like that, which actually make it more dangerous to be a journalist now, where, you know, I, I, I never wanted to be like a war correspondent, for instance, because I really didn't, you know, I'm not really the kind of person that would probably want to be around gunfire and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I want to die. Um, but now I almost have that same fear here, and, and and that fear shouldn't. I don't really have that fear, but you know, but but you know, but we're a little more cautious about that. I work at a newspaper that you know, 30 years ago in its old location on Broadway was firebombed because of an editorial that was written. About literally, it was it was about the it was the whole Salman Rushdie thing back with the Satanic verses where the editorial was just like, hey, these bookstores around here shouldn't take this book off the shelves. Why, you know, why let these kind of, uh, you know, these threats, you know, force them to censor themselves? And that's all it was saying. And the paper got firebombed. I mean, it literally was burned. You know, not literally burned to the ground because it was brick. But, I mean, it gutted it. I mean, it was gone. And, I mean, you know, in, in the United States of America, this is happening. You know, and so... Um, you know, yeah, it, it, but that's the way that people think they should react to it. Instead of just writing a letter to the editor saying, hey, I disagree with you. Right. You know, I mean, which is, you know, the way they should do it. And it's funny because like, there's a story that, that's told, um, you know, there's pictures, you know, from the from the dailies from back then, from the 80s. I think it was 89 that happened where, um, you know, uh, Ed Koch was out there, but also uh, Rudy Giuliani was out there because he was running for mayor at the time. And all the other mayoral candidates were out there with their umbrellas, you know, because it was raining that day. And I think one of the uh, I think the New York Times or the Daily News or somebody went up to Ed Koch and said, hey, you know, um, you know, this is a paper that's, that's attacked you quite a bit, you know, in your administration, but yet you're here to support them and off, even offered a, a reward. I think you offered like a ten thousand dollar reward for the capture of whoever did it, who they never found, by the way. And you know, and, and it was funny because Ed Koch, I think the quote, and I might be misquoting it, so I apologize, but the quote was something to the effect like, "Sure, I might have my beef with this paper, but I'm not gonna. I'll write a letter to the editor. I'm not gonna firebomb them." You know, <laughs> I mean, that's yes. how. But that's different days. To be. Right. Well, that's, that happened similarly two years, a year or two ago. Uh, the documentary "Tickling Giants," uh, mm -hmm. the Egyptian uh, Egyptian talk show host, they basically kept calling him the John Stewart of Egypt. And the executive producer of the documentary, once he was living in exile in the United States, said she was so surprised that she heard from Ted Cruz that he was so eager to see this documentary that she made because she was a uh, Daily Show. Uh, former Daily Show executive producer or producer somewhere along the lines, one of the you know on the pr production side, and she was so surprised to hear that a Republican cared about free speech, and I looked at her <laughs> and I was like, "You're telling me that it's shocking to you that Americans care about free speech just because they disagree with your worldview?" Yeah, and that's what and I like, think that's that thing. level of discourse drives me crazy. For the fact that just because you're not on my team, automatically you want to silence me. I don't want to silence anybody. Yeah. I want to know what your worldview is to get you to that conclusion. Mm -hmm. And we don't listen. I mean, you know, the one thing that, um, 
you know, you might not agree with Bill Maher on a lot of things. I don't agree with Bill Maher on a lot of things. But, you know, one thing that he's been fighting about is the fact that these universities, that these students at these universities in different places around the country are, like, protesting and, and forcing the universities to disinvite people that have come to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, because they don't have the same political views or the same world views that they do. And I'm I'm with Bill Maher on this, that that should not be happening. If you don't want to hear somebody speak, don't go. Mm-hmm. You know, let them, you know, let them come and say their piece because that's the problem is what's happening is we wouldn't like it if we were being silenced, you know, on either side. Why would right. you do it to somebody else? Right. Yeah. You know, let them share their viewpoint. Go and listen to it. See if it's, you know, if it makes sense and stand up and disagree with it. But don't, you know, but don't do this whole thing of, oh, let's totally not let them have their say at all. What are you afraid of? If it's if it's something that's garbage and easily garbage, let it get out there and, and you know, and make sure you express it as garbage. Mm-hmm. But that's democracy. And we've. Yeah. That whole. No, but I, I mean, I'm beginning to worry that the millennials. Um, really don't have in polls also uh, support this don't have the state in those basic principles of democracy they might not even know what it's all about Richard Dreyfus talked about this last week at Catalina Island Film Festival and I'm sorry to name drop but this is relevant because of what <laughs> I'm about to say is that we don't teach civics anymore and we haven't yeah. for three generations so to remove civics from the classroom and just have it as a lesson in the history or social science classes rather than a huge part of social science, it has been a disservice to that. And censorship is a horrible thing. No, absolutely. And, and censorship is always bad, and it's bad on both sides. And you know, and yes. I will tell you, liberals are just as guilty of it as conservatives. And, and to believe that like conservatives don't believe in free speech and you know, stuff is, is silly. To believe that liberals don't believe in free speech is silly. You know? But the thing is, is the action sometimes from both sides does kind of indicate that they might be against it because they don't want to you – know, because nobody wants to hear. That's why we tune into Fox News or MSNBC because you know, we want to get our news that's in our viewpoint. That it's in our you know world view of it, and not really hear the other side. Where I mean, I would prefer to go to BBC or even even if people deride it, but I don't think I think it's unfairly CNN. You know, in order to you know to get something that's a little more down the middle at least. That's you know that's not doing it from oh it's from this vantage point from this vantage point. You know, but it's actually from a vantage point of let's try to gather as much of that information because the more information you have, you know, the more informed choices and more informed conclusions you can make. Well, I have no, an issue my, my with BBC no. because it's a government-run issue. It's a government-run publication. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, no, they get, my, yeah. Let, let before I want to get some um, predictions about the midterms, and then I want to talk about okay. twenty twenty because it's already twenty twenty. You know, I mean, Spartacus, um, the senator from New Jersey, was you know clearly positioning himself. I mean, we know <laughs> that they all are, right? So, yeah. do you think that the um, the Democrats will take? the house and and or senate um i think the senate's doable i mean the house is, is you know remember there's there's a big difference in the house right now it's not like it's not like we're talking about a handful of seats you know that separate you know a democratic majority from a democratic minority unlike the senate which is we're talking about like two seats that only you know they have to flip and retain the rest um i i think the senate's definitely a possibility congress i don't know Congress, I mean, by Congress, I mean the House of Representatives. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, not being a national reporter, I don't have, you know, probably the same insight that maybe a national reporter would have. But, you know, but just from my own, you know, personal paying attention and, and being a fan of politics, you know, since I was a kid, you know, and, you yes. know, and, and paying such close attention. I mean, it's, 
I think that it, it's going to really depend on voter turnout and, you know, voter turnout, you know, the higher the turnout, you know, is usually, you know, at least something that's, you know, that, that kind of indicates that that it's going to lean more blue than red. Um, you know, just that's just the way it's been. I'm not saying that there's more Democrats than Republicans, but it just seems to go that way. Um, so it, I think it really depends on who gets out to vote in my in my district where I am. Um, you know, I'm in the Senate district of, um, you know, my papers in the Senate district of uh, state Senator Jeffrey Klein. Um, if you know, for people who aren't from New York, um, he uh, he's a Democrat who uh, about eight years ago broke away with eight other senators. They broke away from the Democrats, formed what they called the Independent Democratic Conference, and uh, and then and then caucus with the Republicans. And they didn't always give Republicans power. They sometimes had the majority anyway. Uh, but there's been a couple of times where they wouldn't have had the majority and they got it uh, because of these breakaway Democrats. And, you know, the, the senator was bulletproof. I mean, nobody touched him. Nobody got close to him. They actually ran a very popular ex-city councilman who became state attorney general against him. And, and you know, the senator won. But then you had Alessandra Biagi come in um, out of nowhere. All she's ever been is a lawyer, you know, for Hillary Clinton's campaign for, you know, for, uh, you know, for Governor Cuomo. But was really nobody had heard of her, of her except for her. You know, she does come from her grandfather was a congressman way back in the day. But, Mario, is that Mario Biagi's kid? Yeah. Or her, his granddaughter. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. 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 This is yeah Mary... He ran for mayor, Biagi. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, so so older people, of course, like you, Gary, because you're old, you know, would probably <laughs> thank, you, thank you, Michael. I love you too. Thank you. <laughs> would recognize Mario Biagi, but you know, but a lot of people who are like younger or newer to this, you know, yeah. to the area, you know, did, would have to look that up. But the thing is, is that she didn't. She had no chance. I remember people asking me multiple times. You know, Gary Axelbig over on Bronxnet, which is a you know kind of a, a cable uh, political show over here. I'd go on there, and he would ask me, and I'm like. Yeah, I you know I think Alessandra's great, but you know she's very nice and you know and I think she you know she gets out there she energizes, but she doesn't have a shot in hell. I mean it just it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen, you know. And and he's bulletproof. I mean he beat Oliver Capel. He's bulletproof. I mean there's no stopping him, you know. And he's going to be back in there. I think you're going to see some of the other IDC people go, but not him. Well, guess what? Some of the other most of the other IDC people went, and so did Jeff Klein. You know, I mean, it's just it's hard to predict these sometimes. And you know what it was? What the difference was was turnout. She energized people. He didn't. You know, his they didn't get enough of his supporters out there. I mean, it was a low turnout, but you know, but but that's where low turnout is bad, by the way, too. That's where this apathy and voting and stuff, is, you know, makes a big difference because then it doesn't take a lot of people to you know mm-hmm. to to get people elected. You know, where it should take a lot more. And, now, I we, mean, now we for twenty twenty. Um, I, I still think, by the way, I disagree. I think the Republican turnout is going to be, I don't think, I Kavanaugh, yeah, if he had been um, defeated, it would have been, you know, outrage. But I still think there's sufficient outrage and anxiety that they, that the left, and again, I'm not being partisan, I'm just saying that the Democrats could do this, and um, when they threaten to impeach uh, Justice Kavanaugh, if they take over the House of Representatives I'm as one of their first orders of business, that. That uh, is red meat to the Republican states. But what Democrats have said that because I don't because we're talking about a Democratic Party who won't even commit to impeaching Donald Trump, who actually think probably does have a case for impeachment. I'm not sure like what the case for impeachment would be for Kavanaugh at this point. 
Well, they, I mean, I, I don't remember which um, congressman. A couple already have said uh, that if we take over the House, we're going to investigate Kavanaugh. Well, they should investigate him. I think that's – Well, but then, you know, yeah. but okay. But I'm saying the, the first thing you say you're going to do is – and again, I have contempt for both political parties. But you're throwing – you know, you're, you're giving voice to the, the fear of the people who don't feel they're being listened to, the Trump supporters. So I disagree with that. But now 2020, okay, it's already started. But wait, why right. would but, but but Gary, why would an investigation of a Supreme Court judge that nobody even heard of before like three months ago fire up a base more than but, an ongoing investigation against, you know, but wait a minute, uh, this is but this States. is your camp this is what you're going to do to help America? I mean, I'm I'm still waiting to see what Donald Trump is doing to help America. Well, we can debate that, you know, um, <laughs> lowest unemployment rate since 1969, and yeah, that he inherited deals and yeah. you know, wrecking stock market. I have to admit, NAFTA is interesting, and, and but no the one trade is, war with when, China is not. Wait a minute. Well, there's no trade war with China. My no, there isn't. Okay. No, there is not. No, try. Actually, we've got NAFTA, which is much better for American workers. I South Korea. You, wait a minute. Wait a second. South Korea, he wanted to be agreed with you, Gary. Like you can't be oh, mad at did? him for okay. that. <laughs> but you, but you just, but he wanted to pull out of the South Korean trade agreement. So that's really interesting. China is, you know, China has had their way with the world in terms of trade, and yeah. their industrial production is down. The stock market has dropped twenty percent, and as soon as our wonderful allies in Europe um, renegotiate the the tariffs with us, apparently um, Europe wants to turn against China too. And renegotiate deals. So there's a lot going on. And again, this is, goes back to the fact that do you really think that 91% of the, the negative coverage of President Trump has been justified? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. Fine. Well, that's what we because because the nine percent because if it's ninety one percent and you're telling me that nine percent you know might be you know unjustified. Sure, I think that I think that they you know I think that NAFTA too kind of got overlooked a little bit. Um, you know, but let's just say you know it, it's it's tough to to sit there and talk about you know these, these this trade war and it is a trade war. It's a war when you have two sides raising tariffs against each other. As if it's a nuclear arms race of some sort. And who do you think pays for for the tariffs? Who do you think is paying, you know, for when when this these products come to the United States? It's not like that. There's an American equivalent of these products that people can switch to, which is the whole idea of tariffs. By the way, when you look at it from an economic standpoint, the idea of tariffs are to bring up the prices of something that might have been produced cheaper somewhere else and transported over and so made it cheaper to where it brings it up to where it at least has an even playing field with an American counter with an American alternative. So a lot of these things that, that this stuff is coming in, there are no American alternatives for it. Or there's no quality American alternative for it because guess who who shipped all those things over to begin with was the American companies. It's not like China decided that we're going to start making iPhones. It's because Apple moved their productions over to China, right. and, and the tariffs and, and make the no difference and, in terms of bringing. And the president is trying to get them back. Yeah, you, you don't do it with tariffs. You do it with you do it by creating incentive packages, by by closing loopholes that he's not doing. He says instead he wants to do you know. There's, for instance, there's a there's a tariff on aluminum, and you would not think like we the newspapers were able to dodge a bullet at least a little bit because prices did still go up with newsprint because there was a tariff for a little while on newsprint, you know, coming from Canada because of some you know. Um, some you know some paper manufacturer in California that was totally against the grain of every other American paper manufacturer said, oh, it's hurting our business. Well, that got overturned, so that doesn't exist. But you want to know another tariff that's really hurting newspapers right now is an aluminum tariff. And people might sit there and think like, oh, 
aluminum doesn't matter because you know it was this newspaper it's paper but that's what our that's what the plates are made from when we print our newspapers we print them on aluminum plates and we can't you know you can't just like melt them down and redo them you have to buy new aluminum in order to keep making the plates and i think they get recycled elsewhere but the thing is is that you know that this that's how it's done and for colored newspapers especially we got to use four times the aluminum because color requires four plates for each page not one and so those are really those are things that are really hurting newspapers. Those are things that if they're hurting newspapers, there's other things that are hurting other businesses because it's not like the, you know like oh there's a there's an American alternative for aluminum we can just switch over to that. No, that's not the way it is. Those tariffs get passed on to the consumers, you know, and it's 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 basically a regressive tax. And it's and it's the people who usually unless you have the American alternatives in place, that the only people you know who who benefit who you know are not are not the people themselves they don't benefit from these tariffs the country doesn't benefit from these tariffs we're not getting new jobs from these tariffs so yeah the whole thing is wrong okay well i disagree but Lola, before you go i want you to talk 2020 if you're looking at the now do you think that trump will have a primary challenger someone like Kasich, john Kasich? um i think i mean i Jeff Blake. I, I think there's going to be, depending on where the president's popularity is yeah. by the time you know we start that election cycle. Um, if it's the same, I think there will be, but I don't think that's a, automatically a reflection on you know on Donald Trump because um, he wouldn't be the first incumbent no, to draw not. you know primary challengers. Um, whether he'll get a you know a strong one, I don't know. It depends on what the Republican establishment thinks of Trump by then. Because remember, he's still not the biggest you know. You know they're they're kind of falling step in line because they feel like they have to, but would they have to going into another you know into a twenty twenty election? I yes, I honestly said if he got elected, we're going to get eight years of him instead of just four. So I I see him getting reelected. I don't know why I just do, and it for my personal entertainment um, only because I'm a big fan of Schadenfreuden. (laughs) Um, You know, (laughs) I could and professional wrestling so. I see his uh, Freddie Blashy shtick not getting too tired. No, it's not, and it, you know, and it's still drumming up bases. But you know, the thing is, is that you know, the 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 reason you know where he you know because a, a lot of the problems that happened with this last with the 2016 election was that you know it wasn't necessarily that Donald Trump ran this most genius campaign. It's that Hillary Clinton ran a terrible one. Yes, right. you know, she gave it away. She, she coughed it up. On- she coughed it up on the two-yard line. It's as she, simple as that. Yeah, well, I mean, she was playing for the popular vote, but she should have been playing for the Electoral College because we don't elect presidents with the popular vote. We elect presidents through the Electoral College. You know, and for her to avoid, you know, the Rust Belt states like that was terrible. I mean, it was a bad move on her part in hindsight. Um, you know, and that's – and, I mean, we're talking like thousands of votes in those areas. Or right. Just one of those had flipped, you know, could have made a difference. You know, just had a thousand votes go another way, could have, you know, might have made a difference. But, you know, that was – you know. That that was an election she lost, you know, for sure. And, you know, but the thing is, can he pull that off again? Um, you know, you know, obviously you're going to have this group of people, this, you know, with this mentality that even when Trump isn't really doing much, he's doing wonderful things and they're going to be behind him no matter what. You're going to get some people who think that, well, you know, I'm kind of on the fence, but I think that he's doing good. I'd rather not change horses midstream, you know, but I think you're also going to get a lot of people, especially depending on what happens with the Mueller investigation. We don't know where that's going to go or who's going to end up getting caught up in that. We don't know if that'll ever implicate the president, but, you know, those are those are all big questions. Marks, and I think it will make a difference as we move forward. Okay, so who's 
Who would you consider some of the um, Democratic frontrunners? First of all, do you think Joe Biden is going to run? Because I, I'm thinking he's going to give it another shot. I think he is, and yeah. and and I think that he would be an automatic front runner. Uh, Joe Biden is very popular. You know, being a vice president helps, but he's also a very popular voice on the left. I mean, Mario Cuomo used him in his you know in his primary campaign. Um, you know, there was a whole bunch. You probably saw them on TV when he was running against Cynthia Nixon. He had yeah. Joe Biden, you know, stumping for him in, in political ads, and not that he needed him because I think that Cuomo had an easy election anyway. But you know, the thing is, is that you know, yeah, that makes a difference because. Um, I think for him, because also his debate performance is amazing. I don't know if, if you ever want to see the best debate I think that I've ever watched, and, I'll, and it's probably one of the few debates I'll watch the whole thing over and over again, is his debate with Paul Ryan. Oh, I was just going to say that. He, he took Ryan to school. Ryan looked like he just got sent to the principal's office. <laughs> yeah. It was embarrassing. He just – oh, just, yes. <laughs> yeah. And and Joe Biden has been in the yeah. institution for so long, been part yeah. of Washington for so long that he could just in his sleep without probably any preparation rip people apart. And I think yeah, I would have voted for him. Yeah, in I, fact, I would if he'd been the nominee nominee in 2016 of the Democratic Party or Bernie, I would have voted for them. I think that yeah, I think that if, yeah. I think that Joe Biden would have you know I think if Joe Biden had had won or ran. You know, in the primary, and he would have been nominated. I think he would have easily beat Donald yeah. Trump. I think Bernie Sanders probably could have easily, maybe not easily. I think it would have been it a little been, more of a yeah. test. Now, okay, so who else? Um, Elizabeth Warren. I don't. I just don't know if Elizabeth Warren, you know, because you have because Elizabeth Warren is kind of like the, you know, I almost call her like the liberal John McCain in a way. You know, she's kind of that maverick. She's kind of that person that not afraid to speak up, and that's great to have. But those don't usually make solid presidential candidates. Those are usually the people that join the race so that they can make sure, like what Bernie's whole attention was originally. It's like, you know, I know Hillary's, they're going to pretty much give it to her, but I'm going to be in the race to make sure that different, you know, viewpoints, that different ideas and different, you know, things are talked about. And I think that, you know, the different, you know, ideas and stuff that I'm trying to think of the word for it. It's slipping my head, but that I think that, yeah, that, that she might be that, Kind of person to make sure that different topics are discussed. I mean, but I don't Pat know. Buchanan, you, when Pat Buchanan um, challenged um, George Bush the first yeah, in '92, or you know Teddy Kennedy against yep. Carter in '80, it is that um, sailing to the wind. Do you think that the party needs or feels it has to go far to the left and um, or even nominate a woman, Kamala Harris? I mean, what do you think about her? Yeah, Bernie I think Sanders. You know, I, I don't like to – I think that we run into – you know, I think Obama was was a very strong president. I think that he could have been stronger if he had been more experienced, you know, if he had been able to find ways of going against the, uh, you know, the, the congressional resistance that sure. he had, which I think that experience would have helped him with that. Um, I think having Joe Biden helped a little bit, and I think that he, you know, that he did it, but, but that experience helps. I think that just putting people on these pedestals just because they suddenly become senators – um, usually out of nowhere, right. like, you know, Kamala Harris, I know she was a, you know, what, a, a, a attorney DA, general. Yeah, attorney general, yeah, what she was yes, in yes, California, attorney general. Yeah. but that's different from, you know, from making sure. laws. And I think it's kind of tough to throw people in those executive positions. Like, I still think the best presidents are governors, you know, or former well, governors. You know, yeah. now, speaking of which, let's talk about, because you're in the Bronx, I'm in Brooklyn. Let's talk about well, I'm our governor. Bronx, yeah. I'm not a big fan of um, Andrew Cuomo, but what do you think? He's going to run? Chances? I don't know. I mean... 
he seems to be setting himself up for it. I mean, the whole, you know, when I talked about the IDC earlier, there's a lot of people who believe that Cuomo kind of was involved in making the IDC happen to stop overly progressive legislation from getting through, like single-payer health care, you know, like really raising the minimum wage even higher than what it is now in New York, um, you know, or make it worse broader. Um, you know, that was his way of tempering it so he didn't have to answer those questions on a national stage. You know, he could just blame it on, oh, well, you know, they just never passed. I never got those bills on my desk. So I didn't have to veto them or support them, you know, or whatever he would do. Um, you know, and so with the IDC gone, I mean, he doesn't have the shields anymore. So, like, depending on how the elections go in November, I don't know. He might have to face some of that progressive legislation. But I don't know. I mean, you know, we, we, we use – you know, you remember back in the day, 92, when, you yes, know, when there was a Hamlet. Hamlet being, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, you know, being talked about. And then he ended up just wanting to be a kingmaker instead. And I don't know, maybe Andrew Cuomo's different. Um, I mean, I've only met him once, so I don't know. Um, yes, I, he just, I think he's I think he's going to run. Um, I think he thinks he's left enough and has enough ties in the center. He's got the base in New York. And I think he feels that he owes it to his dad. That yeah. his dad, for whatever the reason, and there's always rumors, and I'm not even going to give them credence about why Mario Cuomo decided not to run at the last minute. But yeah. I think Andrew feels that um, he wants to go where his father didn't go or couldn't go for whatever the reason. And I, yeah, I, I, I think I be surprised. I mean, what about Kirsten Gillibrand, our senator? I just don't think she has enough name recognition yes. to make that work. I mean, you know, that's the thing is that, you know, Elizabeth Warren, at least, is a name we've all heard of. Right. You know, even Kamala Harris, you know, as new as she is, she's a name that we've heard. Yes. You know, you know, Chris, we just haven't heard her name. Jill, we just, you know, yeah. it, it's I mean, I I get her press releases every day and, and even her <laughs> name slips my mind sometimes. <laughs> she doesn't really go out there or she hasn't really found a way to to make that impact. And I think that's part of that is makes it very difficult. Like she could try to run, but she'll probably be very early casualty. And and uh, Mayor de Blasio, he's oh, been sniffing so. about it. I mean Yeah, I don't see that happening. Okay, good. So he's just going <laughs> to stick around and destroy New York City. That's wonderful. Okay, fine. <laughs> you know, I think he's I think he's kind of happy where he is, and I don't yeah. I don't see him. You know, at least not while he's in office. I don't see yeah. that. So, Michael Hinman, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was, yeah, a, it was a pleasure, a delight. We have to come back after the um, midterms. I'll come back anytime you want, Gary. All right, terrific. Thank you, my friend. You take right. care. You too. Bye bye. Bye, Michael. Well, that was fun. It was. Yeah. It was. We're all fired up now. We have <laughs> only a few minutes. Uh-huh. But I know you saw. Um, all right. Give me before we sign off. I want you to give a quick um, review of Venom. Okay. Venom is. Here's the thing with Venom. I had such low expectations that I thought it was going to be the biggest piece of garbage since the last Fantastic Four. Um, it did. It did not know whether it wanted to be a horror movie, a comedy, or a horror comedy. Um, it, you know, is basically the Spider-Man mythos retold only as Venom and instead of a spider bite, an alien symbiote. Uh, but Tom Hardy made it entertaining. So it's so far left field crazy that how bad it is, it's still fun and I enjoyed it. Okay. So, yeah, sometimes bad movies can be fun. And I saw a brilliant movie, Roma, which I'll review on next week's show. But we've got to go. This is Gary Morgenstein. And I'm Robert Samo. Yeah, and I'm R.C. Samo from Fanboy Nation. And Michael has been a great guest. Uh, Michael, real quick, uh, plug where you are and where we can find you on social media. 
Um, right now, the best place to find me on social media, um, I would say, you know, obviously, you know, I do my newspaper stuff, which is separate, but that's the Riverdale Press, and that's only if you're up in that portion of the Bronx, but we do do some stuff that's a little bit broader. But otherwise, look for me, you know, my new podcast coming back, um, Alpha Waves Radio, so you can find it on all social media, just at Alpha Waves Radio. Terrific. We're going to look, at, we're going to listen. Thank you both. Terrific. Everyone have a great week. Talk Thank to you, you next you week. Thank you guys too. Oh, Gary, before we forget, plug your book. Oh, yes. Abound Over Health Science Fiction Baseball. If the Riverdale Press liked it, it's got to be good, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Take and, it easy, guys. All Bye-bye. right. Bye-bye.